Good morning. Good to see you today. May 15th. Man, we're almost in June. May. You know, March took about three years. Then April flew by. And then May's flying by. I tell you what. So we're talking today, starting a new sermon series today on going. Today we're talking about going to our enemies. You might be thinking, well, I don't have any enemies, but you do. Now we'll get to that in a second. Uh, but, you know, I was playing with my three-year-old the other day and playing some toys with him. And he was telling me that he was the good guy and I was the bad guy. And I thought, where did you get that from, right, you know? And uh, I said, well, no, why am I the bad guy? He said, you're the bad guy. And I said, well, I want to be the good guy. You be the bad guy. He just laughed. He said, no, 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 no. I'm the good guy. I'm not the bad guy. And, you know, I got to thinking that the, all the conflicts we have in life, all the wars that have ever been fought, is because both sides view themselves as the good guys. You know, nobody views themselves as the bad guy. Uh, they, they think that they're right, that they're good. You know, Vladimir Putin doesn't view himself as the bad guy. He thinks he's doing the right thing. Uh, Osama bin Laden, 9-11 attackers, they didn't view themselves as evil or bad. They, they view themselves as the good guys. Now, they were wrong, <laughs> right? Uh, but they viewed themselves as doing the good thing, being the good guys. As I said, we're looking today about going to our enemies. And many times our enemies view themselves as a good guy. And they view us as the bad guy. And it would shock us to know that. But today we're looking at Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea, they heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. He said in verse 5, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a, a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. And looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me. We entered the man's house, and he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as it began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just on us as at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand 
in God's way. When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Father in heaven, as we worship you today, we've sung your praises. We hear your word read today. We've prayed to you. And now we hear your word being preached today. Father, I pray that my words reflect your heart, that you fill me with your spirit, that I speak truth today in love like you've called us to. And Lord, as we hear your word today, your word will change our hearts. It will dwell in us richly. And you will show us each individually what we need to know about going to our enemies, about sharing Christ, about inviting people to church, all these things that we're called to do. You would show us where in our lives we can be obedient to you. Lord, we love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You might be thinking to yourself, well, you know, I really don't have any enemies. You know, what if I don't have an enemy? Well, you might not personally have an enemy. You might not think that there's someone that you don't like or you view as an opponent or as an enemy, enemy but uh, you do have enemies. And how do I know this? Because the Bible says that you do. Matthew 5 says this. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies if you have them. No, that's not what he said. Love your enemies because you will have them. And pray for those who persecute you because you will be persecuted. If you're a Christian, you will be persecuted for your faith at some point in your life. It takes different forms, especially here in the West. It takes different forms than maybe our Christian brothers and sisters and across the world. But if you are a Christian, you have people who view you as the enemy. You may say, well, I don't really hate or dislike anyone, but there are others who dislike you. Look at 1 John 3. John says, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Don't be surprised when it happens. And so the whole point of this is to say, when it happens, love them. Love them. Don't hate back. Love them. That's the whole point of him telling, talking about enemies. And one way, the main way we can love our enemies is to take the gospel message to them. To share the gospel message of Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross to them. So today I want to show you three things about taking the gospel to your enemies. Three things about taking the gospel to your enemies. Number one, when you do this, this is not going to motivate you to do this, by the way. But I want you to know this is what's going to happen. When you do this, criticism will be given. Raise your hand if you just love criticism. Nobody enjoys it. Some people can take it better than others, but nobody seeks for it. Nobody enjoys it. Right? But when you take the gospel to your enemies, there will be criticism. And there may not be criticism from the enemies. There may be criticism from people who are like you, who are your friends. But there will be criticism. Look at verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea, they heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, which was a political party, criticized him, saying, you went to our enemies. Our our whole political party is based on everybody being circumcised. That's the only way you become a Christian. 
And you went to people who weren't. How dare you do that? And you ate with them. Right? Now, in many ways, this portion of chapter 11 is a retelling, a summary of chapter 10. And Peter becomes criticized for sharing the gospel with these people who were called the Gentiles. Now, this is odd because Peter is just fulfilling what Jesus said would happen and that they needed to do when he ascended to heaven. Look at Acts 1.8. Jesus said this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem with all the Jews and all Judea, in Samaria with the Samaritans, and to the Gentiles, the end of the earth, everywhere you go to share the gospel. Those are the three categories of people that the Jewish Christians uh, categorize people in. You had the, the Jews that were believing in, in Christ. You had the Samaritans who were culturally kind of half Jews. They had some Jewish lineage and some Gentile lineage. And then you had the Gentiles who were just pagans. They had no Jewish background at all. They were the Greeks. They were the Romans. And so he said, you're going to be a witness to all three of these groups because they're all going to receive the word of God. Now, Peter had just returned from sharing the gospel with the Greeks and the Romans, the Gentiles. And when he returns, he's criticized about it. Now, it doesn't seem that odd on its face that the Jewish Christians uh, were doing this because they were still learning to, to receive other cultures into the faith, which is hard for them. But when the gospel came to the Samaritans, who were also considered looked down upon, they didn't object to that. There was no objection to that. But when they took it to the Romans and the Greeks, it touched a nerve. And they did not like the fact that they were doing that. There was real ethnic strife among these people. When I served at a church in Columbia years ago as a pastor on staff, we had an international ministry, and or an international minister took in all kinds of refugees who moved uh, to America from different places where there was persecution, like Burma, which is called Myanmar, and different places like that. And there were all these different tribes and people groups. Well, some of these people groups had problems with other people groups, but they were all Christians. And one time, a new guy came in who was a believer, and he was from one warring tribe with another tribe, and they had all the flags up on top of the room. And he came in, and he said, that flag has to come down. And the minister said, why? He says, we, we don't like, we don't associate with these people. And the international minister had to say to him, say, well, listen, I understand that's the case, but we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. That supersedes any political allegiance we have. Any flag allegiance. So he had to really work through that. There was still that ethnic strife. Even though they all believed in Jesus, they still had to get through those prejudices that they had among the other people. Now this is the time of, 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 of the empire where, where this young man named Caligula was the emperor. And he was causing all kinds of problems in the Roman Empire. He was insane. He had threatened to put a statue of himself in Jerusalem. He wanted to make the Jews worship him. Everybody was walking on eggshells, and it was a, just a very time of strife. They didn't trust the Roman Empire. And here's Peter going and sharing Christ with them. What are you doing, Peter? Those are our enemies, right? So it's interesting to note, however, that the specific complaint was that you're eating with these unclean people. Because if you ate with a Gentile, uh, you would be ceremoniously unclean because you can't even eat with them. You have to go wash up before you went to worship. But this was the same prejudice that Peter had just been dealt with in his heart by that vision. The vision that he talks about here is, is the vision where Jesus says to him, Hey, all people 
are worthy of the gospel. So God had just worked in Peter's life and convicted him of where he had been sinning. And then he gets criticized for the very thing he's trying to get out of. The very thing he's trying to grow out of, he gets criticized. Don't be surprised if God sends you to share the gospel or puts people in your life who have the same struggles that you've just gotten out of. That you're just getting through. I think that I find that's oftentimes where we're uh, the most sensitive to criticism. You know, if I have a weakness in my life and I'm criticized there for it, it hurts a lot worse than if I'm criticized for a strength in my life. Because I know it's a strength and I know that person's probably wrong, right? But if it's an area I struggle with and I get criticized for it, uh, it's hard for me. Because I know that there's some truth there and I'm working on it. Peter was criticized in the very area where he was God was working in his life. He was working on it, right? That's where we were most sensitive to it, but that's where many times God uses us. If, 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 God, if God rescues you out of legalism and rule following, don't be surprised when you get criticized that, hey, you're not a legalist anymore. You're not following rules anymore. If God rescues you from alcohol and drugs, don't be surprised if you receive criticism from your friends who are still in the lifestyle. Why, why did you abandon me? I needed you. Why aren't you there? Why have you changed? Nevertheless, we're called to go to our enemies because God can use us mightily as we do. George Whitfield was a famous English evangelist in the 1700s. He led many meetings where hundreds of people in England came to Christ. He really sparked a revival across England. But for all the good he did, he, however, he was not without his critics. He very often received letters of criticism. Uh, back when you wrote handwritten letters, it would take months to get there, right? Uh, letters of mockery. Letters of hate. And you know, sometimes, even though hundreds of people, thousands of people in his ministry came to faith, one or two Bad letters can, can hurt. And that's, you can dwell on the, the one or two negative things. And he would become discouraged by, by them. But he learned that the best response to the critic was just to be open and honest about his struggles. So one day he received a letter of a personal attack and he wrote the person back. He said, I thank you heartily for your letter. As for what you and my other enemies are saying against me, I know worse things about myself than you will ever know. <laughs> In other words, yes, I know that, I, that you might be right, but there's things far worse about me that you don't know. And those worry me more than what you're saying to me. In many ways, when we're being criticized for sharing the gospel, on some level, we know we're doing what we're called to do. Now, that doesn't mean that we can be rude to people in sharing the gospel doesn't mean that we try to be as offensive as possible. We share the gospel in love because there's some truths there that are hard to accept. But we realize that we will be criticized for it very often. Secondly, when we share the gospel, truth will be revealed. This is why it has to be shared. Truth will be revealed. If there was a basketball game on last night and you didn't watch it on television and nobody told you who won, you would never know who won. You just don't innately know who won the game unless someone tells you. You don't receive the gospel unless someone tells you about it, unless you hear it. You don't innately know about Jesus and what he's done for us. 
So in order for truth to be revealed, you have to tell. Someone has to be told. You have to hear it. Verse 4 says that Peter began and explained it to them in order. He just gives an explanation to his critics about the facts. He says in verse 5 that he was in the city praying, and then he, he saw a vision. And something like a great sheet descended, and it was let down from heaven, and it came down to him. And he says, verse 6, I saw all these different animals that I'm not supposed to eat. And he didn't understand it. And verse 9 says, what God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times and was drawn up into heaven. So in this vision, God uses the image of what was considered unclean animals, which they weren't supposed to eat, to let him know that, that all people were not unclean, that they all deserved the gospel. And at first he didn't quite understand the metaphor that Jesus was giving him. But then he understood that God said that I'm going to send you to people you think don't deserve the gospel. I'm going to send you to people you don't think will receive the gospel. We, we have those people in our lives, don't we? Well, you know, I could tell this person, but they'd never receive it. They would never listen to me. They don't like me. We don't know what they're going to do because they haven't heard about it. We don't know what the response to Jesus might be. They could reject it. They could receive it. It's not us for, for us to predict. I wish we could, but it's not us for, it's for us to, to tell. This is what Peter did. And then he says in verse 11, And behold, that very moment three men arrived at the house in which we were, and the Spirit told me to go with them. Now, the Spirit is never going to lead you into sin. This wasn't a sin to go share the gospel. He was criticized for it, but it wasn't sinful. He said, The Spirit told me to go making no distinction. Verse 13, and he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say this, go to Joppa and bring Simon, and he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. But the only way you're going to be saved is to hear this message. Well, if I told you the only way to be made right with God was to hear a message, you would want to know that message, right? Well, he did. He wanted to hear it. And he even said, there's going to be a man named Peter. So he found Peter. And he found Peter, but Peter still had to deliver the message. He still had to share the gospel. He had to say what Jesus had did on the cross, how he was, how he was killed on the cross, how he was buried. How on the third day, he was resurrected. And by resurrection, he had purchased eternal life for all who would believe. They would turn from their sin and place their faith in him. And they too could be made right with God and have eternal life. That is the message he had to preach. And that's what they heard. And they received it. A person can search for truth all they want, but until they hear the gospel, they can't be saved. I can't know who won the game until you tell me. I don't know who had the most points, what the score was, unless you tell me. A few weeks ago, Dr. Cashin was here, uh, our evangelist speaker, and he told a story about how people had problems with the sermon he told, about people who never heard the gospel. They said, so you're telling us the people who never heard the gospel just... They go to hell when they never heard, and, and he said, or, or they're not saved, and, and he said, well, well yeah, so well, we don't believe that. He said, well, think about it logically. If, a, if heaven, salvation, was a person's default destination, if someone who never hears about Jesus, if their default destination is heaven, not hell, why would we ever send a missionary to them? Why would we send a missionary to them? I would hope they would never hear. 
Because if we sent a missionary to them, now we brought accountability into their life. They've heard the message. Now we've brought potential judgment into their life. Then we are at fault if they reject it. See, you have to hear the message. This is why we spend millions of dollars as a convention sending the gospel message to people so they can hear it. Now, they have to, it's their choice to reject it or receive it, but they have to hear it. They have to hear it. We know this. The Bible tells us. Look at, we all know about John 3.16, but we forget about what comes next. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, and whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life unless they never hear it and they're good to go. No, that's not what it says. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Amen? But whoever does not believe is condemned already. That's the default. Because we all have sinned. Look at Romans 3. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Unless you never hear, you're good. No. That's not what it says. And we all are justified. They're all made right by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The only way to be made right with God is through receiving the grace of Jesus Christ. And that's what people need to hear. Now, they can reject it. It's their choice. But they have to hear it. You know, the angel could have told Cornelius. He didn't tell him. Angel means messenger of God. He made Peter tell him. Why? Because God was working in Peter's life. God says, I'm going to show you that you're wrong, and you're going to be the person to lead these people to Christ, and you're going to be the person to preach the gospel to them. And that's what God does in our own lives. He takes us to people that we would never want to go to. You know why? Because when we tell them, and we're stunned when they receive Christ, and I have people that I've shared Christ with that I was absolutely stunned that they received it, God gets all the glory. God gets it all. Peter tells him the rest of the story. He says, verse 15, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us. And I remember the word of Jesus. And it says, verse 17, If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, who was I that could stand in the way of God? The Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles. God showed that the Gentiles are loved by God. See, the loving thing to do is to tell people the gospel. That's the loving thing. That's why God sent Jesus. He could have just let us go on our own lives and sin and just don't worry about it. But when sin came into the world, way back in the Garden of Eden, God knew that there was a plan. There was a way to make his people right with God. People were saved before Jesus through the promise of the Messiah coming. People were saved in Jesus' life as they believed in him, and we're saved now as we see what he did. That is the way that God has designed it. Because of that, God often will have us share the gospel to those who don't like you or those you don't like, because the gospel is what can break the barriers. And finally, number three, when we go, After truth is revealed, understanding takes place. This is the most, this is the miraculous thing about receiving the gospel. Understanding takes place. 
had a friend from mine in college for years. I've told this story before. Roommate I witnessed to for years. I just gave up on him. You know? He was atheist. He wouldn't just believe in God. He didn't even believe in God. He was a complete atheist. And uh, one Easter morning, I got a text from him. Said he was sitting on the beach watching the waves hit. And just, he believed in a God. I said, well, that's great. You believe in God. But what about Jesus? He says, oh, yeah, that just comes, that makes sense after all that. <laughs> all that wasn't hard for him to put together. And he said, I just want to thank you for always telling me the truth. Understanding takes place when people get to a place where they want to receive the message. they got to hear it. they got to hear it. So he says, verse 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has given repentance that leads to life. See, even the prejudiced Christian Jews who were criticizing Peter, when they heard the truth, they said, you know what? We're wrong. Amen. You know why they could say it? Because God had changed their hearts too. And they said, well, you know what? We're wrong. You're right. Amen, Peter. We didn't understand it, but thanks for going. We now get it. That's the great thing about being born again. Your views change. The more you follow Jesus, the more you get the, the word of God in your life, the more your views line up with Jesus. How else do you think people can come to church and, for the most part, get along? That's a miracle. Amen? You can't even get along with your own family. But a, church, a big church family, for the most part, you have some outliers, can get along. Because they have the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit, leading all of us, uniting us. And we say, oh yeah, you're right. Didn't think about that. Understanding takes place. It's a story of a therapist told a story about how her supervisor once told them, uh, there's something likable in everyone. <laughs> and this therapist said, to my surprise, she was right. And she said, it's impossible to get to know people deeply and not come to like them. By the way, it's the same thing if you pray. If you pray for someone, you'll start liking them. It happens. You start praying for somebody. She said, it's, it's impossible not to get to know someone, no matter how bad you think they are, and not come to like them. He said, we should take all the, the world's enemies and put them into a big room, and then they can share their histories and their experiences and their fears and struggles, and they will probably all eventually get along. That's true. Put them in an the elevator or something. Let it get shut down for 10 hours, right? You get to know people. Perhaps if we viewed our enemies as human, viewed them as being made in the image of God, and realized that we're not the good guy and they're not the bad guy, that we're both the bad guy, right? And that Jesus is the good guy. And that they are just as much a sinner as we are. They have their own problems. But we don't understand. But Jesus can save them just like he saved us. Right? We would go to our enemies. And we wouldn't see our enemies as these scary people. We would see them as people in need of a Savior. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you've done for us. Through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we come into this time of response today, Lord, if there's one in here today that's never received your salvation, never said, Lord, I believe, make me right with you, save me, that they would make that decision today. 
Lord, for those of us that know you and that are, are wanting to, to hear today what you want us to do with this message, that you would put people in our lives for reasons, that we could show the love of Christ to them, and that we'd see them and view them as people, not as obstacles, not as enemies, not as just in the way, but as people. And so that we could be a blessing to them. And maybe they need to hear the gospel. You would give us wisdom. And that when your spirit leads, like Peter, we will follow it. Lord, we thank you so much for what you've done for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.